do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Studying Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Katie. And I'm Jade. And this is Future Studying. Welcome to the last episode of Future Studying for Season 1. We're going to be taking a short break to prep the beds, plant the seeds and germinate season two before coming back in a few weeks time with even more delicious guests. Check our Instagram and Facebook feeds for updates, but not too often because the sun's shining, spring is here and outside's the place to be. This week, we're chatting with a much loved permie and holistic thinker who'll help you see the world a little differently and maybe even the trajectory of your own life. Dan Palmer is co-founder of Permablitz, Landed, Holistic Decision Making, Making Permaculture Stronger and Very Edible Gardens. He has a PhD in systems thinking and contagious levels of enthusiasm for supporting the journeys of others. He currently lives with his wife and two daughters in a small home in Castlemaine, Victoria. We hear Dan's thoughts on getting paid for your passion, consciously shaping a vibrant and beautiful life how to be vulnerable and cut the chase and avoid BS, the deception of ideas, the illusion of separation from the natural world, and how to ask better questions. It's the best kind of brain-bending conversation. So enjoy this season one finale with Dan Palmer. How have you come to be a holistic thinker? Were there moments of inspiration? I know that Alan Savory has influenced your thinking a lot, but was it, were there inklings before that, that there was something more than just cause and effect and the linear way that we Mm -hmm. have conventionally thought about things yeah there was so yeah there's a bunch of precedents to that as you say Alan Savory's work I came into contact with um, what he calls holistic management at a very fortuitous time and it effectively kind of saved the business which at that stage was heading for the rocks and you know I think if if it wasn't for that coincidental encounter um we, the, the business wouldn't exist anymore, but it's, as, it, as it's turned out, it's 10 years old and doing really well. But before that, um, I, I spent a, a lot of years, and I actually had some resentment and regret for the amount of years I spent at university, although these days I'm, I'm grateful for the, what I picked up during that time. But I was dipping quite deeply into systems thinking and um, philosophy and stuff like that. So I was, I was um, already swimming around and concepts about um, moving away from a reductionist or a mechanical way of seeing the world to a more holistic and living approach so that there was those precursors were there and yet it was um, I mean finding permaculture itself which happened before I discovered holistic management that itself was was pretty amazing in terms of uh, to me it represented a pathway from these beautiful ideas where I couldn't see how the heck I could get from the ideas like li- living the non-separateness of people and place and things like that I couldn't see how a pathway from the ideas to the practical reality, you know, day-to-day decision-making um, and permaculture got me started on that journey. And then holistic management came at a great time when we really needed something to, to, um, to inform the way we were steering the, the business. And then, then it spilled over into the way our family was navigating our shared life. And, and I've started using it personally. And nowadays I use it with pretty much everyone I work with. 
And do you have a simple way of explaining it for people who might have never conceived of this this way of complex thinking before? Well, you you can tell me. I, I have this conversation a lot. And I, I think it's simple. People get it in a couple of minutes, it seems. Um, and often the thing I hone in first and the, and the point I, or the distinction I want to land is between uh, the idea of a goal or goals or a vision or objectives. And often when I'm working with people, that's what they initially present with. They say, so we want to get a bit of land and we want to have alpacas and we want to have whatever, truffles and aquaculture or whatever they say. <laughs> um, and I take a bit of time to say, that's all great. And that may or may not happen. Um, what I need to know before I work with you is, is why do you want all that stuff? What, what's the deeper underlying um, need or value or, um, or, or I don't know, intention that, that, that you happen to be communicating in the form of this or that specific thing you may, you may do or you may not do? Um, and there's a difference. And, and what I'm talking about is the stuff that's not negotiable, like the core ingredients of what a fulfilling quality life is for you. And we'll come back to the, the specific bits and pieces later on. But until I have a real felt sense of what you're about deep down, um, I'm not going to be able to really support you to make, make the decisions to, to, mm -hmm. to take you into that space. Yeah, so it's less about the goal and more about understanding those motivations or ways people want to feel. And that can lead them in a totally different direction away from the, the acreage with the orchard that maybe they've thought was the thing that was going to bring them a lot of satisfaction. Totally, yeah. Yeah, we're constantly getting hijacked by ideas that we cling to and um, which might be, yeah, we're going to buy a farm and do this or that. When sometimes if you do that deeper work, you realise, oh, <laughs> you know, that, that course of action might even take us away from what it is we're most deeply mm -hmm. aspiring toward. Do you find that, um, that people are reticent to to embrace that deeper work because it's something that they've, they've never had to think about before or they've never been guided on that journey before? Or do you find that people actually find it really refreshing and they embrace the opportunity to go through it with someone? I'd say 80% of the time they they embrace it. And, I, and these, these days I proceed in a pretty fluid way where I don't, I don't need I, – I, I'm happy to go slightly deeper than where whoever I'm working with is happy to go. So, you know, just so long as we go a bit further than your comfort zone, that's fine. And maybe later on we'll deepen. I'm not going to impose or force um, anything that, um, that yeah, it would be an imposition or inappropriate. Sometimes there are, there are folk that are just really, really attached to specific goals and so on, um, which is fine and great. And, and, and in those cases, I'll usually pick that up and, and sometimes refer them to someone who might better help them. Uh, with those, but I, I, I personally need a little bit of that deeper stuff, you know, to know what I'm really in service of here. But generally, mm. like if I explain it that way, like I say, what, what this is all about is me being of the most possible service to you and you achieving the, the best kind of deepest, most fulfilling outcome that's perfectly adapted to who you are and what you're really about. Generally, people don't turn that down. They're like, that sounds good. <laughs> mm. We want that. Well, that's, that's never been offered. Thanks. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, then getting them to think wholly as opposed to kind of siloed, is that a challenge? It's a process mm. um, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often we do have a siloed or fragmentary thinking about, you know, families here, works here, this or that project's there and, you know, getting underneath all those to say well, what are the 
what are the um, the core ingredients of, of, a, of a fulfilling life before we come back and, and talk about how that plays out in these different domains or arenas of your life. Mm. Yeah, that can be, that can be, um, that can be a process. It was a process for me. Yeah, I think it's a process for everybody and it's a totally different lens, isn't it? It's a different way of functioning because it's not really mm. how we've had generations of experience being taught or led to thinking. Mm. You know, we've been encouraged to think singularly because it makes us a whole lot more malleable to maintain mm. this industrial functionality that we're all kind of geared around and so it makes a whole lot more sense to just accept your role in that singular reductionist way and off you go. So actually getting people to push outside of that can be really overwhelming. Yeah, fully. Yeah, and the funny thing that fascinates me is often when we get these inclinations to a a more uh, holistic approach to life, the inclination is to say, well, what we need to do is rejoin all the separate parts of our life. So you're trying to kind of assemble all these disconnected aspects into a a coherent whole, and it just doesn't work. That's not how you get to coherent living wholeness. You need to go... Um, back before a place where the splits were made, which to me means going going to the, the deep space of what are your underlying values, and then move forward again in a way where the the different things you engage in, the different aspects of your life, they all fall out of that deeper um, intention, or sometimes I call it the DNA, and mm-hmm. and there's, then then you can have that beautiful coherence where where the, where the where the shape of your life of as a whole is a whole, you know, and everything complements each other and. And, and is in deep harmony with each other rather than feeling like this perpetual juggling act where it's all about this kind of ever elusive concept of balance, you know, trying to balance these separate things and juggle these all these balls at once. Mm. And it might have been you that, that I heard say one day, life can't actually be like a knitted jumper where you need to kind of bolt on a, an arm and then bolt on the neck and bolt on the cuff. You actually need to go back to your ball of wool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that really resonated with me because I thought, right, now I completely understand that I can't just build a solution by by knitting the arm separately. I actually need to go back to base. My next unscripted question, Dan, is if we're getting to grips with the DNA of our existence and trying to work on that and make it something that we want to then replicate in a really beautiful way, mm-hmm. does that lead to us doing better things in the world? It's, it most certainly does. And also um, not being... Um, and actually, when I when I when I think about what I'm about to say, Jade, you come to mind. But not not being a, a kind of a, a, a grizzling, whining, whinging kind of, you know, like oh, why is life so hard for me? Why does everyone else get a lucky break? All that kind of stuff. Um, kind of pl- putting putting stuff outside of yourself, making other stuff responsible for the, the state we're in we can move out of that as well and, and get into a place of proactively crafting, creating, unfolding, developing um, a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And because it's, it's all, it's all about um, honoring what we most deeply value, which is, is what it is. And unless we discover it and honor it and decide our way um, toward a space where those things are being honored, we're not, there's not a deep quality and there's not a deep ease and there's not a deep um, abundance of surplus love and energy and resource to then, you know, shower out into the world and send in different directions. Mm. So what you're saying is there needs to be an honouring of the really deep-seated desires before we've got the ability to, and that's that's people being feeling like they've been heard and feeling like they're 
um, they're being the best person that they can be with the gifts that they have to offer the world and then they can actually be significantly more outside themselves. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, which can be paradoxical or enigmatic for some people because they're saying, hang on, I'm, I don't, you know, this feels selfish to focus on myself and part of what this approach means for me is that um, in, until you do that and are able to be living your life most of the time um, where, where you, you, you're, you've, you're experiencing quality and there's a, there's a fullness and a, a deep contentedness, that's when you're the most altruistic and the most useful to you, – you're the most used to others. It's like that mm. saying about um, – how does it go? Something about um, don't, don't ask what the world needs – um, figure out what you're most passionate about and do that because that the world needs people doing what they're you know deeply inclined towards um, doing mm, well that's right and if it comes from a place of love you're more inclined to stick with it for a longer period of time than if you do it out of obligation yeah and how many stories have we all heard about and that and lived in my own case and maybe for, it's true for you too is, is is when we've chosen this or that cause and we've just you know, we've burned ourselves out in service of something that matters to us um, and ultimately, yeah. we're, the value we provide to that cause is much less than it would have been if we'd looked at, after ourselves from the beginning. How do you balance, as a human, <laughs> that sense of cause versus capitalism? You know, um, you can have a really strong set of beliefs, but yeah. how, how you maintain the integrity around living within those beliefs and also the world that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't claim to have any... Um, Pack, you know, polished solution or anything like that and it's interesting for me to reflect on I mean, one thing I'm really grateful for is that I started Very Edible Gardens with um, colleagues um, 10 years ago before I had a, a part of a family and kids and I, my life was very cheap then and I'd just come from being a student where I was used to living really cheaply so I was able to go through that preliminary period of getting the business afloat and, and, and running um, and, and was happy to put a lot of time into that uh, and, and at that stage, they, my, the cause and the what was generating income aligned. It's a permaculture design business. And then over time, as um, my passions became kind of more focused, and I started launching all these new projects and podcasts and whatnot, just because I wanted to do them, and they weren't in any way associated with um, livelihood. I was lucky enough to have the momentum of that business already being started. And yet, the way it works has worked for me over the last several years is that. I balance them or I counterbalance when um, the rent doesn't go through or you know, when, we, when we, we run out of money, I'm like, oh, okay, I better go and do some consulting or, 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 or face that side of life. And what's that, what that has brought me to is coming back to the holistic decision-making is, is really writing that reality of life that, um, that I need to be prosperous. You know, I need to, I need to, there needs to be um, physical and financial security and I need to be factoring that into the decisions I make as well and unfolding a shape to my life that honors that. And right now, you know, like in previous eras, that, that didn't involve cold hard cash. It was about your standing in the community and your ability to harvest food from the environment and stuff like that. But right now, it is it is par for the, um, for the course. So increasingly, as I move forward, I'm looking for, and I really love this, you know, I'm, rather than get, being in a mindset of, oh, well, um, basically making money and what I really want to do are in completely different directions. So the best I can possibly hope for is a compromise, you know, where I do some of what I love and do some of what I need, feel like I need to do to make money. And if that's your attitude, often that's, that's, that is the best possible outcome as a compromise. And yet over time exploring this stuff, 
I realize if you ask a different question, different possibilities start start, um, start popping into your onto your radar. And, and the possibilities around how could I fully 100% honor what I'm passionate about and go directly for it without any compromises in a way that also um, generates, you know, does what it needs to do in terms of, of livelihood. And, and mm-hmm. at first it's vague and it's unclear and you don't know what the, what the hell. And yet the more I, and, and it involves a, a bit of faith, a bit of trust, you know, and it's that mm-hmm. funny thing I do. I, I do find in life that often the universe is like, let's see what you got. You know, let's 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 see how much faith or trust you've got, or how much of a risk you're prepared to take. And oh, you're serious about this? Okay, we'll throw you a few crumbs. You know, like so. Yeah. Uh, an example that that's really Living. exciting. Yeah, for me is um is making permaculture stronger, which is a I've just poured countless hours of my life into writing like hundreds of thousands of words and. And blog posts and, and interviews and all this kind of thing and for and initially that was a hobby on the side and then at some point i said oh, i'll start a patreon account and give people the option to voluntarily support it and it's starting to happen and it's not massive or anything but right now it's like it's not like oh, i'll do a bit of paid work and then i'll move over and do another podcast episode um people are are you know choosing to to, to support support that as well so it's it's um there's much less of a separation and that's very exciting for me and I'm even grateful for it because the work I'm doing there I want it to have as much impact and be as valuable for people as possible and one indicator of that is is if people are choosing to voluntarily um, donate money to what you're doing that's a pretty clear indication they're finding it valuable you know so it's, it's, it's useful information to me as well as helping pay the bills. Yeah, that's right. And it's okay to be able to say, I actually need you to support this financially because then it keeps me going. Do you value this? And if so, is there a way you can support it? Yeah, if you want to. And no pressure. I'm t- totally happy for anyone to enjoy this stuff at no charge. But if, if you actually feel like reciprocating because you're getting enough value and I'm challenging myself to, to bring enough value, then you're, any, you know, that, any, any, any um, reciprocal um, contributions are, are welcome. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, against those yeah no and it's a it's a really um interesting dynamic we interviewed um Taj the permapixie and she said it's a really confronting thing I haven't quite got to the place yet where I'm comfortable with charging for my services because it feels like it goes against the principles of everything I believe in but I wonder whether or not that's a maturing as well just sitting in your your own knowledge of your own capabilities for long enough to be able to say actually I am good at this and what I do do is actually bring people something that's worthwhile and that actually has a value and it doesn't mean I'm unfair about what I charge or what I ask for support of, but, I, but I'm, I have a value and I'm not going to question that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a huge thing. I mean, I, I went through that process quite a while ago and these days I'm very happy to, to name um, my value and then challenge myself to, you know, I, 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 one of the things I want to be feel to be true as I move forward is that however much... I'm charging or whatever if I'm doing professional consultancy that I that I feel I'm giving more than that much per hour or, or whatever it is. But often I've, I've run a lot of advanced courses on permaculture design for people in that kind of boat who are getting started and are nervous about charging and all that kind of stuff and getting them to own their value. And also own the fact that if, um, which is not to say that I'm sure all of us will continue to do wonderful things voluntarily, um, and but at the same time, if there's if there's nothing coming in and we're living in a world right now where we need something coming in to, mm. to stay afloat 
um, yeah, it's a process to learn to, to own your value and to commun- communicate that up front. And because the world's so used to it too, there's that real truth that if you undercharge or do all this stuff for free, people start to, um, to, be, to, to be less aware of your value or oh, that you're only charging this much. So you're only worth that much. So I'm going to pay more attention to the architects than you because the architects mm-hmm. are charging 200 an hour. It's funny how um, value can come down to fiscal bottom line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Even though that's actually can sometimes not be the reality at all. You speak about your truth a moment ago. Do you think that all of the work that you've done through holistic decision-making um, has allowed you to feel incredibly comfortable with what your truth is and therefore there's no need ever for kind of bells and whistles and bullshit because you can you can speak your truth and in turn people then reciprocate with theirs and the harmony that comes out of that um, becomes more honest from the from the get-go. Mm, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I, I, that, that's a deep hunger I have is for less fluff and less superficial bullshit, which are, you know, we're drowning in right now. And, mm. and it, you know, I'm, I'm totally guilty. It shows up for me as well. But to the extent that I can show up at the beginning of any kind of engagement um, or process that involves other people, and I can at least get rid of some of that um, stuff, that they pick it up deeper down and and my my kind of operating assumption is that we're all, all of us deep down um like we go through our life and and we're like yeah we're just having this kind of fake bullshit conversation and effectively lying to each other and not you know sharing what's really going on for us yeah and and what and there's two people doing this and one of them's like yeah i, I really want to go deeper but you're obviously not interested so i'll just stay on the surface with you simultaneously the other person's thinking the exact same thing and i find that you you can break that kind of superficial cycle um just by going first, by being a leader and and yeah. being vulnerable or being honest and just cutting to the chase, and people are like, holy shit! All right, so this, this the rules the rules of this engagement allow for that. Oh, well, let me tell you this, and then suddenly yeah. you're heading in another direction, and and shit gets real, you know. And I, these days, when I'm starting a, a process of working with people, um, the sooner the tears start to flow, the better, you know. I know then I know that there's an honesty, there's a vulnerability, there's um, there's a realness, a freshness. Mm. to the situation and an awareness there's yeah, sort of a safety yeah. net in it they're clearly saying i trust you yes. i trust you enough not to push this back on me i'm i own it i'm happy to share it i'm happy to kind of willingly be open and you're not going to take you're not going to hurt me because of that that's right yeah and we, we all have that very understandable kind of survival mechanism of not wanting to reveal too many of our cards in a world um where we, you know, we may be ostracized or criticized or wounded or traumatized or whatever else. And, and as soon as at a deep level, someone perceives that this is a safe environment and I can, I can lean into this, you know, I can, I can mm. trust this person is, is mm. going to honor anything I bring. Then, then, then suddenly all sorts of beautiful possibilities start to unfold. Yeah. Do you reckon it's a little bit like what you were saying before in that you haven't just come along and bolted on the solution of the knitted sleeve? What you've actually done is unraveled it completely back to the ball of wool and between the two of you you can then build something incredible but it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't pushed back to base 100 percent, yeah yeah and, and often i'll even proceed where we're both kind of pretending that what we're doing is bolting this or that on um, but there's kind of two conversations happening there's like yeah we can talk about where you're going to put the trees or where your new driveway is going to go at the same time along the way we're getting to know each other better and there's mm-hmm. this there's this deeper conversation happening, which is really about who are you and what deeply, deeply, what are, what are you aspiring toward here, and and what's unique about you and what's unique about your place, and how do we how do we resource and support a different kind of process, where you're in, you're you're in control, and and this is um, this is all about meeting those 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 deeper things. 
Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and and, and I, I love that. <laughs> it's really hard to um, sometimes face the reality of tough conversations. You know, sometimes the hardest conversations are with people that love you the most and know you the know you the best. But I wonder whether or not if you have a good, strong sense of belonging somewhere, whether or not that then gives you the, the gumption and the confidence and the capability and desire to ultimately push through the tricky conversations mm, and mm. find a way to the other side because you know that if you can get to the other side, it'll be better than it's ever been mm, mm. and it's worthwhile. But it's just not something that in today's world we're encouraged to do because you don't have to. You know, you mm. kind of belong to a million different communities and if one's giving you the shits, you can actually walk to another one and they'll actually pep, pep you up and they'll boost your ego and they won't challenge you and you know, they'll give you the ability to be bells and whistles rather than mm-hmm. real. And yeah. I wonder whether the society that we live in is filled to the brim with so many communities now that we actually don't really truly in our rawest form belong to any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you about your community. So you are from New Zealand mm-hmm. but you uh, you have children and you live in country Victoria. Yeah. What and then you have a, a business partner and and work colleagues that are based in Melbourne. Is your community global? Is it your family? Is it it's kind of a bit of all of it? And when you're building your community, do you seek people that you feel like you can be really honest with, or do you um, kind of allow those that you think there's probably more to, but they're not going to give it to you just yet? Do you allow them into the inner zone so that ultimately you've got the ability to build bigger networks? Mm, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I just want to draw a Venn diagram or something because you know, like, like my my immediate community is, is us as a family of four. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a tight unit and we we we're navigating life together. And then we've got this incredibly tight um, village, almost tribe like community in New Zealand, mostly with one other family um, of two adults and three kids, and and then there's some related friends you know so there's like maybe 20 of us and and it's just mm-hmm. incredible and we spend our summers there and then we have our, our community here and yeah and, and and an increasingly global community where i'm in touch with people all, all over the world it's an interesting thing though because i'm I, I have a very i don't know if you call it a high bar um and i know i think i'm pretty sure that this can sometimes land for people as aloof or even arrogant and maybe that's because it is i don't know but um i'm just not interested in in um and messing around, you know, in the sense that if I'm going to be leaning into a relationship and spending time getting to, to know someone, um, you know, I want the real thing. I want, I want, I want, I want that sense that we can, we can, we can move fairly quickly towards, towards really being real with each other. Um, mm. That said, it's not like I need it instantaneously, but if, if after days or weeks or whatever, maybe a month at the outside, if, if that's mm. not a light on the horizon, my attitude really is, look, I've got one life. Life is short. I don't. I don't want to be, um, mm-hmm. mucky around on the surface. So I'll, I'll, yeah, let's I'll get know. real and let's yeah, get going. Yeah. You know, are yeah. we in this or aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm exactly. with you. I've got a high bar too, and I have very, I have very low expectations of people giving me much. But when they give it to me, it's got to be real, and they've got to give me as much as they can at the time. I'm just interested to know, Dan, if you're happy to be living in the time that we're living in now, because there are some pretty unique challenges that we're all facing as a global community. Mm, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I'm grateful to be alive right now, and um, 
and and that's without uh, I'm not I, I don't consider myself delusional in terms of downplaying the gravity of the situation and the existential um, crisis that humanity is is facing right now. And you know I'm really I'm really excited at at honouring the line between the things I can't directly influence right now, and rather than just sort of regretting them or hating on them or beating myself up over them or whatever, feeling depressed about them. And I've been through all those states, um, honoring the line between that stuff and the stuff that I can influence. And, and then realizing that if I focus on that and I'm using holistic decision-making or whatever approach that, that means I'm unfolding a shape to my life that is whole and, and stems from what matters most to me and honors who I most uniquely am, that, well, holy shit, you know, I can make a difference and I can send these, I can be participating in conversations and things projects and whatever that are sending positive ripples out into space and time. And, and, um, and, and that, that really blows me away, you know, like for, with permaculture, for example, I, I never anticipated the fact that little old me, just one human being could help hold space for conversations that I feel like, um, and this is my story anyway, I'll stick to it, but that, that are actually having a, a global impact on certain aspects of the, of the permaculture conversation, which in turn are contributing something of value to the, to the world and for me it's like well yeah whatever here i am i'm alive i've got one life i i, I just want to feel like, that i'm in the ballpark of being me and and kind of contributing as much value as i can and that's enough for me you know even if we are all going down the tube you know whatever a lot of that's beyond my control i want to mm-hmm. look back i want to enjoy the ride and look back and say well I, you know i had a good crack and, and and i can i can sort of hold my head up high <laughs> when i when I encounter my grandkids or who knows my great grandchildren and say, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the way I live my life. Mm. And you've got two little people. Yes. How, how do you build a world for them that is realistic, that mm. encourages them to be truthful and to be true to themselves, but to still have a pretty strong sense of hope and buoyancy about the world that they're kind of moving or growing up into? It's mm. a good question. It's a, it's a really complex and, and gnarly one right and and it's one mm. that's very alive for us at the moment we, we've had mm. this incredible experience during this period of of lockdown is really pulling in together as a family and finding a lot of um joy in and not traveling around so much and and being together and you know just tending the garden harvesting from the wild and herding the chickens and um, all that kind of stuff and, and one conversation right now in our family is around the relevance of of school, given that we have a holistic context um, or a set of core values articulated for us as a family, and some of those are around um, us being in the best possible position to ride out the coming challenges and supporting our kids to be free thinking and um, confident and able to engage with a diversity of different people, you know, ages and stages and cultures and all that, and and learning skills relevant to the future. And so we're kind of consciously testing decisions and making some pretty big calls just lately about what that um, means and and supporting and resourcing our kids to have that sense of confidence and hope and and know that they're learning stuff that's relevant to such an an uncertain future. And we're just taking it day day by day. I mean, one thing we're doing more of is is spending time around people that inspire us, you know, as adults and that we're learning from and and making sure the kids have direct relationships and connections with, with them. Mm-hmm, which is really important, isn't it? So that they realise that there's a community broader than just mum and dad of people who think big enough to encourage us and hold us in the space that we're used to. Yeah, yeah. How old are yours? Uh, seven and nine, two daughters. Okay, so they're just coming into that age where they've got a pretty strong sense of independence and um, 
individuality and to challenge what they've always been told. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's such an honor, you know, and I, I love bringing a lot of in the last couple of years, I've really been deeply nourished by the sense that at, at least some of what I've been exploring with holistic decision making and um, systems thinking and healthy process and all that kind of stuff. It's not just relevant to projects outside the home. It's relevant to how we show up as a family and how we parent and this idea of um, parenting not being about imposing yourself or any, you know, set of rules or, or learnings on your, on your kids, but really holding space for them and, and getting to know them as unique individuals and supporting them to blossom and express themselves um, mm. and, and, and resourcing that and realizing that that's, that's there in them, you know, that they are unique and they, that it's, it's, it's like they're ready to, they're ready to go and we can, we can support that and, and we don't need to, we, need, we don't need to drive it. We can just be there and, and there to, to, um, you know, nourish the, the journey that they're already on. Mm, it's really honouring the humanness of the human, isn't it? Like it really, it, it kind of says, we know you've got all of this and all we're doing is just providing the space. Yeah, yeah. Really. Do you, do you undertake any um, active rituals or rites of passage, especially with your kids in mind, um, that really allows some facilitation of some of those journeys? We, we have patterns that like daily patterns and a year has a certain rhythm and a lot of those things are at flux at the moment but at the end of each day you know during during the meal the evening meal we more often than not we we have a chance we go around and everyone reflects on their day and what 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 worked out what didn't work out roses and thorns we call it (laughs) (laughs) that's right actually i think i knew that because we created apples and seeds (laughs) as a direct result yeah (laughs) So that's yeah. you know that's like a daily a uh, daily ritual and taking the time to bless the evening meal. We have um, part of the community we're, we're so grateful to be um, involved in, in in New Zealand, we, and we were over there over summer. There's a there's a lot of really beautiful, powerful ritual and shared um, I don't know what you call them, sort of prayers or s- s- songs and just time around the fire. Um, and we 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 we're trying to bring more of that flavour into the the time we spend the rest of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Although there's possibly something quite magic about it being in a place that happens over mm. summer every year with a particular tribe of people. Yeah, well, it's incredible. Yeah, you lock it up and it just gets held pretty deeply mm-hmm. somewhere. And is your um, you know, is your journey an evolving one that has has you know was there a light bulb moment was it something that you feel like if you actually look back in hindsight you were probably always destined to be a big thinking change making communicator or is it something that you've actively set out to to work on mm-hmm. I don't think it was um it doesn't feel like it was always something I was always destined to do like I like for example like today I'm a pretty well, like even just with my podcast, like a thousand people, or whatever a week, are hearing my voice. You know, I'm like I'm speaking into a public domain. Which, when I was a teenager, sixteen or even twenty, um, 
I would never have predicted that. You know, I was really shy. People couldn't even hear what I was saying because my head would be down. I'd be mumbling and just with a lot of self-doubt and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a, a gradual um, journey to to kind of discover what I'm all about and then to, to develop skills and then slowly, really slowly, probably slower than others, I, I reckon, come to that point where it's like, oh, I'm okay. And um, there's stuff that I seem to be uniquely able to do that other people are interested in and I can focus on that and develop that and, and share that. And it's, it's just been a really a, a long-term continuous uh, evolution. Yeah. Are there things that you'd change about the world, Dan? Are there things that kind of stick out as things we do maybe in a backwards fashion or, you know, we spoke about children um, and daily rituals in the household and we we seem to have maybe lost this ritualistic or reverential aspect of our daily existences, mm-hmm. at least in, you know, urban contexts and Western society. But, yeah, even the way we... we educate kids or role model are there things that just stick out as like wow we could really do that a lot yeah one one thing that comes up for me quite strongly as you ask that question is around uh, how do you put it like i I feel like we've one of the one of the reasons that we've become really confused and sort of i don't know like taken a wrong turn or something and, and gone away from um really honoring and realizing a humanist or something like that is around um like not not seeing the the shape of our life like not approaching our days or weeks or years or decades as um as these kind of as these creations you know these things that we we are creating with the decisions we make and the energy we bring to each moment and day and week and year and that and and that, that that creation that shape of our life and this applies to also to the the buildings we make and the landscapes we we steward and, and shape that, that those things themselves can be more or less beautiful and more or less alive and, and, I, and in general as a culture i feel like we've, we've we're not in that space of waking up in the morning and saying okay this is a never to be repeated day in my life how could i approach this day as a as a living whole that i want to make as as beautiful and kind of vibrant and alive as i possibly could and, and at the end of the day I look back and I think whoa that was a really beautiful um, creation that day of my life we tend to be in uh, more in the space of oh i've just got the, i've got these to-do lists and i've got to take the kids here and i've got to do this this is this and, and, the, and the day just becomes um, kind of all these um, frenzied actions all crammed together when where if you when you look back on it it's kind of ugly or just um, awkward and gangly and all over the show <laughs> and I feel I feel like there's you know that something's been lost there and it relates to this idea too that I, I have this understanding from some of the learnings I've done about indigenous cultures is that a common theme there was often this idea of wow we're alive like the universe has breathed the earth has breathed life into us and we've 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 been birthed into the world um, kind of for free, you know, and here we are, and we have this deep obligation to repay the universe um, and express our gratitude for this incredible gift of life um, by contributing to the beauty of the universe, you know. So whether it's the way Aboriginal people would use the fire stick to to craft these intricate um, dynamic living mosaics in the in the landscape and, and looking after country as as like a deep kind of seems to me like an obligation or the Mayan um people the, the importance of song and dance and you know if we don't if we don't sing to the sun it won't come up that that kind of stuff um bringing that back into the center and the core of life rather than it being in maybe a bit of an optional extra 
um, mm-hmm. if, if we get around to it, or if we have time left at the end of the day or the year, you know, like, you know, like we might have a little beautiful moment of, of prayer or, or gratitude or something at the end of the day for five minutes. But what if the whole day was an expression of that stuff? Or people have this sense that if they contribute 5% of their annual income, then they've done their duty. That's all I'm required to yeah. do. Yeah, totally. But it's it's bereft of heart and it's bereft of observation and it's bereft of, you know, conscious decision-making and it's bereft of community spirit. For sure, yeah. I should stress too, I think that um, a lot of the stuff I'm saying is stuff that I'll aspire toward. <laughs> you know, it's part of the more beautiful world my heart <laughs> feels as possible it's I'm not saying that I'm there at all you know I'm as I'm, I'm yeah. more flawed and complex and everything that, than well as as flawed I'm not special but I'm, you know as everyone else it's it's just stuff that lights me up and and, and kind of more, more like a a north star or a magnetic north that I, I'd like to keep in mind and make more true as I go along I like your Charles Eisenstein reference and yes Charles Eisenstein <laughs> thumbs up hat tip to Charlie yeah and I think we we so don't value um just the the value of beauty and that pursuit and that is um not the same as vanity and maybe there's just some confused terminology and definitions in there but um definitely pursuing beauty and and joy for its own sake without putting a dollar value on it or thinking how can I you know is this some kind of funnel that I'm going to attract new clients with it's just this thing that I'm doing and it's um very yeah we have a problem with the word spiritual and maybe beautiful and they're all kind of lumped together as quite esoteric but maybe that's where um hopefully they'll be more interwoven with science and things in the future and um again it's it's complex thinking and a nod to the unknowableness of what we're participating in so hopefully uh more people will just be okay with that. And maybe, Katie, it won't be endorsed by science, but it will be endorsed by a rebuilt culture that starts to genuinely seek and acknowledge the value of it rather than waiting for it to be given a stamp of endorsement. Maybe. <laughs> Dan, is, is there anything that, and you know, you've got kids and you participate in broad communities and you have lots of conversations that are esoteric down to kind of nitty-gritty is there anything that continues to appear that still really is deeply troubling because there isn't a seeming solution for it or there isn't a way for you to be able to influence it or is there anything in particular that you just can't shake um so once again I'll I'll run with what is arising for me in the moment and that would be around I'm, I'm constantly kind of fascinated and sometimes distressed by the extent to which um as a culture and as individuals we've been hijacked by ideas like even mm. some, like ideas like um, the world is a giant machine and, and we're like machines and the way to understand a machine is to break it apart into its separate parts and then and then think about how we can join them back together like to, to me, in a really practical way, that has infused and damaged the way we approach our our days and our landscapes and so on. And it blows me away the extent to which we're um, often kind of un, unwitting, unconscious um, carrier uh, know, ca- carriers of these deeper ideas, almost like the ideas are using us to propagate themselves. Um, when there's there's much older and much deeper and much more um, beautiful and alive ideas out out there that we've lost um, track of, and it's it's deep stuff and it, it's something I, I'm 
really curious about and want to keep nibbling away at. Mm. Mm. And where would you suggest people go to find maybe some new ideas um, that counter or a bit of an antidote to those prevailing ones? Well, you, you, there's, there's a number of people in this space. So you mentioned Charles Eisenstein. A lot of his stuff is, is around that, mm-hmm. is, is contrasting a, what he calls a story of separation, a story of interbeing, which is related to what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There's other authors like Brian, um, Brian Goodwin is one, come, Goodwin, Brian Goodwin is a biologist who comes to mind. I'm personally um, having a crack in writing a book at the moment on, the, on what I'm calling living design process, which is very much about um, exploring this stuff and, and making it really tangible and practical. Mm. And just, um, I guess, honouring that human curiosity, continue to seek more knowledge, knowing that, you know, the, the common ideas of the day aren't necessarily the only prevailing narrative that's out there. There are other concepts that can be better explored, but you've got to be willing to trust your curiosity on that. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a huge part of, very much caught up with what I was talking before with the way of idea of looking at the world as a machine is the idea of prioritising logical, rational um, approaches and consideration over intuitive, emotional feeling ones. And, and even just separating those two, which is kind of crazy. We can't function for a day of our life unless both are there to, um, together. And so often what I'm doing when I'm working with people is, is supporting myself and them to just honour the fact that they're human and they have feelings and they can sense things and to notice that and to start listening to that um, where, the, where the thinking mind can come in and be a resource and, and, and support that. But it's like we, we, we move back to a place where we're, we're leading with feeling and then following with thinking rather than um, the other way mm. around or, or kind of almost leaving feeling out altogether. And it's mm. amazing where that can take you. There's a quote from Christopher Alexander, who's an inspiration of mine, a radical architect. He says, the intellect is too crude of a net to catch the whole. You know, if you, if you want to catch mm-hmm. the wholeness of something, you can't do it at a, at a purely intellectual level. You need to, you need to, you need to engage your whole body mind and feel your way into it. That could really be applied to any industry, any sector, any narrative, any, anything, couldn't it? You know, mm, medical yeah, industry yeah. could apply the same the same theory. I want to ask you, as we start to get towards the end of our our chat, what the role of, you know, if we go back to um, this idea that the world is a machine, there has been this sort of fundamental decoupling of understanding that techno solutions won't provide a prevailing solution for humanity in our current calamity because we actually need to understand the way in which we interact with the natural world and technology can't provide that. All that does is decouple us from understanding that the natural world is more potent and more powerful than anything any of us individually or collectively could do. I want to understand what your role, and especially I think maybe around family time, is in actively trying to seek connection to the natural world? Yeah, well, I mean, the way, one of the ways I think about it is, because uh, we often talk about how do you how do you get back in touch with or con- get, connect with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of, to me, part that's part of the legacy of that idea of the world as a machine and everything's broken apart and we need to kind of glue the broken pieces back together to form the whole again. So part mm-hmm. of it for me is kind of acknowledging that we, we are of the earth um and mm-hmm. that we've 
we're not separate and we've never we've never been separate in the literal sense that, that we the energies and nutrients and stuff that make us up and flow through us are flowing through the the whole system that we're, we're eddies in a continuous complex flow rather than anything separate it's just that we've, we've confused ourselves mentally and so it's like almost to me a feeling of um, not chasing connection but just just slowing down and relaxing back into the underlying fact of um, of non-separateness that we're distinct but not not separate from the ecologies and the environments we're within and, and we probably do a lot of stuff that i imagine a lot of families do you know we get out regularly for bushwalks i'm just starting to do some work myself and with the family too to understand the not just the the, the like the council and state boundaries and stuff like that like the arbitrarily opposed uh, imposed boundaries but the actual um life sheds you know where where, the, where which which creek system and are we in and which which river does that flow into and what does that mean and how do the trees and plants change is just, just learning learning about the the actual lay of the land in that way as well as getting out and harvesting stuff sticks for the rocket oven and mushrooms and bunya nuts and blackberries and mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. yeah and it's sort of so you're saying rather than um finding kind of popular ideology around it you're saying just do just get out there and be and do do you have a favourite piece of advice that you find yourself giving to people, Dan, who might be feeling a bit confused or befuddled or not really sure how to take the first step in living, I don't know, just a more content and fulfilling life? I kind of shy away from the idea of advice. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it would be don't don't take anyone else's advice. I, I like the idea of being being um, <laughs> being there with someone, like being with someone in the moment, and and if some sort of question arises like I love this idea that you know someone says to me hey Dan what, what, what would you what's give me some advice how, how can I rather than giving them an answer to their question which is kind of an end of that conversation um, and also presents me as an expert in a way you know in a sense disempowers them oh you need you need someone else's advice or, or whatever how, how can I support them to ask a better question you know like what, what would be a what would be a question that you can sit with and take away and find your own um, not even answer, just use it to guide next steps you take in your thinking and doing and being and and um, and who knows, maybe it'll lead you to another question and another question and, and reignite that um, process of, of, I don't know, self or development discovery, that kind of stuff. So, the you know, the idea of of striving to, to support someone to ask a really good juicy question that's, that, that is in, in service to them rather than any kind of gen- generic piece of advice. Wow, thanks, Dan. I feel like um, that's been ex- an exciting um, chapter. We've we've wanted to interview you since we kind of embarked on this journey, and it's been delightful to have you on the other end of the phone and stuck in our ears. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a been a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks, Dan, and thank you for hanging out with us for 25 sweet episodes of Future Steading. We're pretty chuffed to be part of such an engaged and proactive community, so don't be shy about getting in touch with suggestions, guest requests, or constructive feedback. Instagram or Facebook messages will reach us. If you've enjoyed Season 1, hop onto iTunes and write us a haiku. Just an idea. See you in a few weeks' time.